reviewing something before we go to the main lesson doesn't mean we're going to be here a long time. <laughs> I want to point something out to you that I believe that I didn't put enough emphasis on when we got to this text, to this chapter. I didn't put enough emphasis on it. So turn your book to page 62. Page 62. Hallelujah. Page 62. Brother Lukey, you all right? Okay. All right. Brother D got cold on me. Uh, <laughs> he's not supposed to get cold. He played in football. He played football in jerseys in, a, in, in Syracuse. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that was when you was young, right? <laughs> oh, that's right. You was in the dome. Yeah, but you played outside in some other places. He, your, your bones just got a little older, probably. <laughs> you can feel the cold. When you were 19 and 20, you couldn't feel the cold. You're just playing. <laughs> Page 62. Here is what I want to point out. We've been talking about following to lead, um, being a disciple maker. And that means that you are making disciples. It means that you're depositing into somebody else's life. Um, can I tell you this? That you will not be fulfilled the way God created you to be fulfilled until you are depositing in somebody else's life. You will never be totally fulfilled the way God designed you to be fulfilled until you find yourself deposited in someone else's life for their life to be better. Uh-huh. Disciple making is important. Let's go to the second paragraph, page 62. If you know the difference between a stork and a penguin, then you know the difference between evangelizing people and disciple and discipling people. Hans Christian Anderson wrote a fanciful tale about storks bringing newborn babies to their awaiting families. It is believed that the myth of the stork delivering babies was children delivering babies was invented by the adults who didn't want to explain to their children where babies came from. Unfortunately, some local congregation have adopted the mythology of the stork as the concept of discipleship. The stork picks up the baby in a huge diaper, flies that baby right to the right address, rings the doorbell with its beak, and then flies away. Too many congregations have no plan to make disciples, assuming that when people get saved, God flips the autopilot switch inside of them, and they become saints all by themselves. So we don't say it, but we kind of operate like it. Someone decide, I want to give my life to Christ. They repent of their sins. They get baptized, and we all rejoice and say, yeah, like it's a done deal. 
And remember, you giving your life to Christ is your birth certificate of your new spiritual life. Just like you have a birth certificate for your new for your physical life coming into this world, you being born again in the church into the kingdom of God, that is your birth certificate for your new life in Christ, which means life is just beginning. When you get your birth certificate, it means life is just beginning. So when someone give their life to Christ, life is just beginning. Unfortunately, most churches, most congregation just kind of leave it at great. That person just got saved. And with life just beginning for a young child, a baby, we don't say great and leave that child to get their own food. To learn their own ways. No, we do what we have to to raise up that child. That child is all that child is being nurtured. That child is being taught. That child is being loved. That child is being guided. And so that's what we do for a young child that's born. Well, when someone is born into the kingdom, we have to do likewise. And so for the past two weeks, three weeks, we've had three people get baptized. Ask yourself, how have you contributed to that baby being born? Uh-huh. Those are the, the changes that we're going to have to make and be comfortable with it that we're going to have to get involved with making disciples. And when someone give their life to Christ, they're not a disciple. When someone come to church and surrender their life to Christ, they're not a disciple. They just surrendered their life to Christ. Bob is probably still here today because he is being made into a disciple. If, if, if Bob was not being made into a disciple, if he wasn't, if he didn't have uh, people coming to see him weekly and, and teaching him, teaching him, uh, Bob, I'm not sure what would happen to you today. That's just the truth, because the percentage show that 78 percent of people remain in the kingdom of God when they are taught, nurtured, discipled, 78 percent. Side number. But for the ones that get born again and we just leave them to time and chance. That that number drops really low, 30 something percent, maybe 40 percent. So. We have to become vigilant, attentive, people giving their life to Christ, people coming to church as guests. What are we doing? What do we say? We're going to make strangers into friends, turn strangers into friends and friends into disciples. That's our goal. Listen to me. I can't say it enough. It is the key to your success. That's hard for us to understand that me invested in investing in someone is the key to my success. Investment is just that. It doesn't look like a whole lot going on when you start investing. Ask people that have 401ks for a long time. Ask people that are in the stock market. Ask people that, that invest. Like when they first started, it didn't seem like much. Give it 25 years and you're like, wow, this is pretty cool. 
you can see it's something now. And like it is with your finances, it's the same with people. You invest in people and you will begin to see great benefits in your life. Now, we're not doing it for that because if you do it with that in mind, it will never work. Because someone can determine when you're just doing something just to do it for them, but you're not doing it because you really care. So you have to do it because you really care and you love the individual. So we have this whole thing about babies being born, a mythology that was told. And so now congregations are treating a born-again believer like a stork treated babies. I am suggesting that we need to be less like storks and more like penguins. When it comes to developing spiritual maturity in new believers, emperor penguins breed during the cold and arctic winter and lay their eggs in May. After the female lays her eggs or egg, she passes it off to the male. He keeps the egg warm by tucking it under a pouch of skin just under his belly and above his feet. He balances the egg there for 64 days, during which time the female travels to the ocean to hunt. The male huddles with other males in the colony where they help to keep each other warm. They fast the entire time and incubate their eggs faithfully until the return of the female counterparts. The females return around the time that the egg hatches with a belly full of food to feed their young. They take over caring for their hatchlings regurgitating the food they caught while the males traveled to the ocean for their first meal in more than 100 days. Let me tell you something that's always amazing and never changes about God. God created the natural exactly how things work in the spiritual. If you learn natural things, you will learn spiritual things. And this is a picture perfect understanding of what God is expecting from us spiritually. We have to put ourselves in position to feed the young by regurgitating what we have already been fed. <laughs> I like to just check God out, man. I said, look at God. I check him out. And he's amazing that way. And so where we're going a little bit tonight is. Oftentimes we underestimate what we have learned. What we have retained by coming to church, coming to uh, Bible study, coming to Sunday school, we don't realize that we have obtained some food 
And if you're going to turn strangers into friends and friends into disciples, you do have enough food to regurgitate to feed someone that needs food, spiritual food. So when you meet anyone, you never have to be intimidated if you've been going to church for six months, you've been going to church for a year, and you meet someone that's not going to church You don't have to feel intimidated. Trust me, you have enough to give them what they need. Remember what I said, as a matter of fact, it's probably even more impactful for you that's been going to church six months, a year, two years to talk to someone that don't go to church at all. Because everything that you have at the moment is ready for them to receive Because where they are, that's what they need, what you have. Some of us that's been around a long time, what we have could sometimes choke them. Because there's too much stuff. And we have to be really sharp and have wisdom how to feed the spiritual food to those we encounter if we've been around a long time. But you, six months, nine months, A year, two years, three years, oh my goodness, you are the perfect candidate to make disciples. As a matter of fact, remember what I said, statistic has proven and shown that most people reach lost people probably more effective the first five years of their walk with Christ than after that. It seems like when we start walking with Christ, we're excited. It's something new. We like to share it. But after a while, we just start getting comfortable. We, we, we start, you know, kind of like, all right, this is my lifestyle. And we kind of start just, you know, just getting comfortable. And we don't reach people as much as we need to. But that first five years, oh, my goodness, you can't wait to tell somebody about Christ. You're on fire, as they like to say. The old, old, old timer said, they're on fire. Because everywhere you go, you're telling somebody about Christ. But the scary thing is, after five years, your fire wanes. And now it's kind of just smoky. Yeah, that, that's what usually happens to us. But I believe if we become disciple makers in our young Christian walk, That fire will burn continuously, and even after five years, that fire will burn. Because that's the difference in being a disciple maker than just telling somebody about Christ. We ought to tell people about Christ. We ought to invite people to church. All of those things we need to do. But if we never full-fledged get involved in making disciples of people, then we will never really get the taste that will never leave our mouth. Get that taste to watch someone's life transform right before your eyes. There's nothing like it. There's nothing like meeting someone, talking to someone, you know, befriending someone, teaching them about Christ, them leaning on you and you being able to teach them about Christ and you watch them go from just, another number in the world to becoming somebody powerful in the church. That is amazing. And once you experience that, you'll realize I can never get enough of that. And then you will see what impact 
it will have on your life. And you will realize, if I don't do that, I will not make it. I need that. So you that are making disciples, you need to make disciples because it will impact your life eventually. And the people that you're reaching, you're saving souls and people's life is changing and they're getting to know Christ and they're going to go to heaven one day because you're doing it. Any questions or anything that, any comment that anyone wants to share tonight about that? Anything that you might feel like you need to ask because you're not sure if you can make disciple or you're a good disciple maker or, I mean, anyone have anything they want to ask, share, um, comment on? Yeah? No? Sure? Sure is not a question out there, but you just don't want to say it? No need to do that in here. Just talk about it. All right. For the next 50 days, the parents continually switch back and forth. One hurts while the other, one hunts while the other stays to feed the chick. When the chick is about two months old, it starts spending more time away from the parents. Though it still depends on them for food. So they're still spending time, a little bit little bit of time is being spent away from the parents after two months, but they still need the parents for food. The parents leave them in a group of chicks called cachet. I don't know if that's what it's called, but that's my pronunciation. That is supervised by other penguins in the colony. They can now go hunting together. But this hunt is not as time-consuming because the warm spring weather brings the shoreline closer to the colony's nesting site. When the parents return to the colony, they reunite with their chick to feed them. That part there is just kind of telling you as you're feeding the chick, it's growing and it's growing and it's learning how to be a little bit independent while it still needs the parent. And so eventually it will be able to function without the parent. Every chick, I'm sure, grow at a different rate, different speed. But nevertheless, they all grow and they need, they, they eventually start waning from the parents and moving on and getting bigger. And that's the same thing it's supposed to be like in the church. Someone comes in the church, they're going to need someone holding their hand. They're going to need someone feeding them. They're going to need someone helping them. They're going to need someone guiding them. But eventually, as they begin to learn, they will begin to start doing some things on their own. And before you know it, they will find themselves later on telling somebody about Jesus. This is the way this is supposed to work. It is what's going to keep you healthy. It is what's going to help somebody get saved. And so that is the structure. That is the format. And until we fully embrace that and begin to practice that, I'm concerned. Because I'm worried about anyone that's doing the same thing over and over. What they say, um, someone that's crazy, uh, you know, how you know they're crazy, is doing the same thing over and over and expect to get a different result. And because I know you're not going to get a different result doing the same thing over and over, 
and I know you're not crazy, I know sooner or later you're going to do something different because you're going to say, I'm not getting any result. Yeah, you're not getting any result because you're doing the same thing over and over. But if you want result, you're going to have to do something different. And the different thing you're going to do is you're going to make yourself. Remember we talked about last week, you're going to have to get the there you are attitude. <laughs> you like that, Bob, like that. You got to get the there you are when you go someplace, you, you, you make people feel good that you recognize them. And, and there you go, Bob. You go and say, there you are. Right? And when you say, there you are, you got to have something, though. You, 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 when it's natural, it's just natural. If it, you got, but you got to work at it. So if I'm rolling up on Sharon and I say, there you are, you know what I'm going to say? I like the color coordination you got going on there. I got to let you know that I'm not just doing it just to say hello, right? I've checked you out and I, and I, and, and I value you and I'm telling you why I value you. The person got to feel like they're being valued. Hi, how you doing? It's not good enough. People likes to feel valued. So can you get to them and value them? When you do that, you get their attention. If you just say, hey. How you doing? Or, yo, what's up, man? Or whatever you do. That's okay. That do nothing. You got to get up on someone and say or do something that lets them know you, you really respect something about them or you think this is great about them or this is wonderful about them. Any questions? <laughs> Is this too challenging? No? Is, is, is this too hard for you? Yeah? Remember what I said. If you don't have a friend in your life, then we can talk after church. And we can talk about how to become friendly to have a friend. But if you have a friend in your life and you've been in church for any amount of time, you can do this. Doesn't matter how quiet you are. Doesn't matter how conservative you are. Doesn't matter how much you just don't like to talk. If you have a friend, that includes your spouse. Throw that in there. You, you just wasn't quiet to get your spouse. You had to do some stuff so you and them can hook up. So, you know, we, we work the work to, to, to enter into relationship with someone. So if you've done that, you're qualified to do this. If you've been in church for six months or more, you're qualified to do this. Any questions there? All right. You don't want to be a stork. You want to be a penguin. Ruth chapter one. This is all I'm going to talk about for the next few moments. And we'll be out of here. Ruth chapter 1. If you have any questions as we go along, just let me know. I'm all open for conversations and interaction. Ruth chapter 1 says this. Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land and a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, 
went to sojourn in the country of Moab. He and his wife and his two sons. And the name of the man was Eli Melech, and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the name of his sons, Malon and Chilion, Euphrates of Bethlehem, Judah. And they came into the country of Moab and continued there. So picture this. Husband, two sons, and a wife. People that fear God. People that fear God. So they left because they heard it was going to be a famine. There's a whole lot of stuff to preach from this, but I'm not here to preach tonight. But be careful when you're running from where God is because you think something is wrong. If you know God is there, I don't care what's going on. I don't care what's going on. If God is in it, I don't care what's going on. Things not working out right, is God in it? Then you stay right there. Because when you go for greener pastures, you never know what will happen. God can do exceeding and abundant above whatever we could ask or think. And so it might be hard right now, but it doesn't mean it's going to stay that way. God allows situations and circumstances to come our way to help us become what he needs us to become. And many of us don't want to become what God wants us to become, so we just figure a way to, to circumvent the, the, the process, and we never become what God wants us to become. And then we walk around fussing and struggling and saying, God, why this, why that? And God, if he can just answer you and says, well, the process that I have laid out for you, keep circumventing it. What do you want me to do? <laughs> God's like, I got it all laid out. I'm going to let famine come to you. I'm going to let tough relationship come to you. I'm going to let you be challenged at church. I'm going to let finance be tight sometimes. I'm going to let pain be in your body sometimes. I'm going to allow those things. What are you going to do? You're not going to trust me that I can do what I need to do to get it all back in order? Huh? Or are you just going to do what you feel like you got to do? Listen, if you're going to be God in your life, God's not going to, be, God's not going to share the spotlight with you. If you want to be God in your life, God is going to let you be God in your life. He is not going to try to be your God while you're being God in your life. He won't do it. He'll just like, go ahead, do your thing. Verse 3. And Eli met Melech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left and her two sons. So the husband died. So now it's Naomi and the two sons. And they took them wives of the women of Moab. Now, they all went there God-fearing people. When you move out of the presence of God and you move out of where God placed you, you're going to start bringing things in your life that God didn't anticipate for you to bring in your life. You can't help it. You got to control your environment. And so if you decide you want to go in an environment because that's what you want, as opposed to the environment where God placed you, you're going to pick up some stuff and you're going to bring some stuff in your life that God never intended for you to have in your life. And you're going to be walking around with the problems latched on to you. You're going to wonder why. This is why sometimes, you know, people um, want to change location and, and they wonder uh, why the preacher would tell them, don't change location. 
You know why you would be told don't change location? Because you got the problem latched on to you. And so if you change location, you're taking the problems with you. Now, you might not have thought that. You might have thought, yeah, I just need to get away from them people because they just wasn't whatever it was and, you know, whatever issues you have. But you never stop to realize maybe you're taking the problems with you. So wherever else you end up, you have the problems with you because you take yourself out of the environment where God expects you to be. And so husband died. Sons died. You're losing some stuff because you went to the wrong place. Where God didn't send you. And so, and Malon and Chilion died also, both of them, and the woman was left of her two sons and her husband. So Naomi went with her sons and her husband. Her husband took her to a place where she didn't have no business going. Husband died. The two sons died. So now Naomi's by herself. Then she arose and her daughters-in-law that she might return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the country of Moab how that the Lord had visited his people in giving them bread. Wherefore she went forth out of the place where she was and her two daughters-in-law and her, and they went on the way to return unto the land of Judah. So now you're following the story. They left because there was a famine there. She went to a place, husband took her to the place, where husband died, the sons died, and the sons happened to, had took wives from that place. They married them, right? And so now the sons died, the husband died, in the place where they were going thinking that there was food and good living and everything was there. Now all of a sudden, food is scarce there now. So you think you were going to a place that was suited for you because the place where you were, where God put you, was not doing good. Now all of a sudden you heard food is back in your country where you left from. All you had to do was stay there. Just think about it. If she stayed there and just waited the famine out, and got blessed, and food came back and everything, who knows if the husband would have died? Who knows if the, the sons would have died? We don't know. But the bottom line is, you can speculate and says maybe they wouldn't have. You know, lessons to learn about we don't move ourselves out of the place where God put us. Wherefore she went forth out of the place where she was, and her two daughters-in-law with her, and they went on the way to return Unto the land of Judah. And Naomi said unto her two daughters-in-law, Go return each to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. So Naomi is telling him, You two daughter-in-laws, you've been great daughter-in-laws. My sons died and you still stayed here with me. You was right beside me, loving me, showing me respect. And you stayed with me. But daughter-in-laws, I'm getting ready to go back to my country where I came from, where we really feared God. And you all need to go back to your, your, your home where your mother is. That, that's where you need to go. So I'm going to go my way. You go your way. The Lord grant you that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. 
Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voice and wept. And they said unto her, Surely we will return with thee unto thy people. And Naomi said, Turn again, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Are there yet any more sons in my womb that they might be your husbands? Turn again, my daughters, go your way, for I am too old to have an husband. If I should say I have hope, if I should have an husband also tonight and should also bear sons, would you tarry for them till they were grown? Would you stay for them from having husbands? Nay, my daughters, for it grieveth me much for your sake that the hand of the Lord is gone out against me. (laughs) So much going on. Anytime you move yourself out of the will of God, that's when you panic. Always hear, hear me say that. That when you get ants in the pants, When you start getting uncomfortable and you start complaining, you start asking questions, you know what it means? You know somewhere along the line you pulled yourself out of the will of God. You know that. Because when you know you're walking dead smacking what God told you to do and problems come, you know what you say? There's some problems that I'm not worried about it because I'm doing what God said I need to do. She started questioning. Well, you know, maybe I'm cursed. You know why she said that? Because she left where God put her. So because she left where God put her, now she's, you know, just saying the stuff that she feel like could be going on because I left where God put me. Whenever you move out of the position that God put you in, you're going to question. You're going to question. And even if you don't say it to anybody, you're going to question yourself. That's why the best way to go, just stay where God places you. And you know what? No matter what you're going through, just say, God put me here. I'm not going to worry about it. What verse I'm on now? 13? All right. You all paying attention. And they lifted up their voice and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clave unto her. And she said, Behold, my sister-in-law is gone back unto her people and unto her gods, little g with an S. That tells you that the people in Moab, they served idol gods. Naomi, her husband, and her sons believed in the true and living God, the Almighty. But the place where they went to in Moab, they didn't believe that way. So Orpah went back to serve other gods. And Ruth said, entreat me not to leave thee. Or to return from following after thee. For whether thou goest, I will go. And where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people. And thy God, my God. Discipleship. That Read all of that just to get to that point right there. Somewhere in there, no matter what Naomi was going through, Ruth saw enough in her to say, no, 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 no. You serving the real God. 
There's something with you, no matter what. I know your husband died. I know your sons died. But it's something about you, your God that you serve. There's something about him. And I want to I want him to be my God and the people, your people that serve him. I want them to be my people. I want to be connected to you, Naomi, because your God is something special. So Ruth looked at Naomi's life and said, I want her to be my mentor. Make me a disciple. She was already discipling her, I'm sure, when she was married to her sons and all of that stuff. And so it was so impactful that she wanted to stay with her. And so the first thing you got to realize is Naomi was in the worst state of her life and she was still making disciples. So for us to think that we have to have it going on to make a disciple, nonsense. You can be going through the roughest of the rough and somebody that don't have God will know you have God in spite of what you're going through. When Jonah was going through the stuff, when he caused the, 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 the weather to just be bad and things to go bad, those men knew, what's up with you, man? It must be you while we're going through the storm and all of this stuff. Jonah served the real and true and living God. And because of his disobedience, he caused problems for everybody else. But they all still knew Jonah served the true and living God. So you don't have to worry about how qualified you are to be a disciple maker. You could be going through the worst time of your life, but the person you encounter that have no God, they, you know so much more than them. You can impart so much more to them than you can ever imagine. But you got to understand that if Naomi can minister to Ruth after losing her husband and her two sons, uh, what can you do? Did you lose your husband and two sons? We need to throw that out. You're qualified. Whatever you're going through, you're qualified. Whatever is troubling you, you're qualified. You can make disciples. And I'm telling you all this so you don't have to worry about not following through on what God called you to do. Making disciple is not reserved for special people. Making disciples is for everyone that God saves. Everyone that God saves. And so I believe that statement that Ruth made. Now, you know what was powerful about that? God is so faithful. So, Bob, because Ruth went with her mother-in-law. Man, God is so good. God is so, so, so good. Remember what I told you. I learned this a long time ago. Look at me. I can be wrong, but if you just submit to me, God got to bless you. Oh, man, I wish you all would get that. Has nothing to do with me. It has to do with you and your relationship with God. So when I say something, you might don't want to agree with it. Don't even worry about it. If it's something that you have to do to keep following, just keep following. It has nothing to do with me. God will deal with me however he has to deal with me. But if you be obedient and say, God, you put me in this church and you told me to follow that man. And so regardless, I'm following, though I'm just following. You get so blessed for that. 
Ruth followed her mother-in-law. Mother-in-law didn't have any more children. Mother-in-law couldn't give her any more sons to marry. Mother-in-law had nothing, no money, no nothing. But she followed her mother-in-law. And when she followed her mother-in-law, guess what? The kingsman redeemer named Boaz saw Ruth and said, uh. Now, the, the kingsman redeemer, he was connected to Naomi's family. Had nothing to do with Ruth. But because now Ruth is connected to Naomi, Bozar, uh, Boaz, Bozar, Bo, Boaz, looking like, who is that chick over there? He married her. And when he married her, they had a son named Obed. Then Obed had a child, and his name was Jesse. Jesse was David's father, and Jesus Christ came through the lineage of David. So this woman that had no hope, this woman that had nothing coming to her, husband died, nothing coming to her, all because she decided, you're God, my God. I'm following you no matter what. I know life is crazy, but you have a God that I know is strong, and he's the I'm following you and following your God. And because of that, she married a millionaire. That's the first thing. And so after marrying the millionaire, she started having children that was in the lineage, the lineation of who Jesus Christ came through. All because she didn't allow her mother-in-law to leave her. All because she didn't get discouraged because her mother-in-law husband died. Uh, they ain't got God. Because look, all everybody connected to her died. She don't have no God in her life. That's how we would process probably. Most of us would process like that. No God in her life. Look, she killed her husband. Look, her son's died. She must be some evil woman. You know, that's what we think. We would think Naomi was evil because husband died and her sons died. Listen, I don't know everything about Naomi, but the focus on Ruth is she followed. Naomi had to be decent because you don't treat people evil and they still following. It's important to understand, if you do what you're supposed to do, God will bless you. Don't have anything to do with everything else. We try to work everything in our head to figure out, well, uh, and we try to figure it out. It has nothing to do with you figuring out. You are not the all-powerful, all-knowing God. God is all-powerful and all-knowing. He's got it all worked out, and all he's asking us to do is to just do what I tell you. I will bless you. I will take care of you. But you can't continue to compare yourself and weigh the matter. You keep weighing it like you have the answer. You, Hey, everything can make all the sense in the world to you, and it still won't work if it's not the will of God. It looks beautiful. No, this has to be the right way. No, this is the way I need to do it. Okay, that's the way you think. But if God didn't say that, it will not work no matter how much you think it makes sense. So your sense is not God's sense. God's sense is God's sense. Your sense is not God's sense. So we are supposed to be disciple makers. We all are qualified. Every one of you are qualified to make disciples if you will just do it. You don't want to just put it off to the side because I'm guaranteeing you. Listen, this just came to mind. Remember, Naomi went back home. She was broke. As we like to say, Sam, she was busted. 
Right? So she went home. She was busted. But her daughter-in-law married the richest man in the town. You think she was busted again? You see what I mean by how God, oh man, God. So she discipled Naomi. She discipled Ruth. Ruth followed her and they both just got blessed. How did that work? Uh, You can't figure this thing out. It's just like God telling you if you get paid $100 a week, bring $10 to the church and give it to the church, and, you, and $90 can be more than $100. That's impossible. But if that's what God says, I can't worry about it. I just got to do what God says. And I don't know how this woman that lost her husband and her two sons, busted, had nothing, and went back to her country, just was ready to beg. All of a sudden, now she's rich again. How did that work? But when you lead people to Jesus, when you lead people to him, that's what changes your life and changes other people's life. When you lead people to Jesus, coming to church, don't do anything. Coming to church is just you building up your, you know, your, 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 your knowledge of the word of God because you're hearing it preached. But that's not what changed your life and that's not what's going to change other people's life. You going to church won't change your life and it won't change anybody else's life. But you go into church and learning and what you learn, you begin to apply. It will change your life and it will change somebody else's life. That's what Ruth did. The God that, I'm sorry, Naomi, the God that Naomi served, she turned her daughter-in-law onto him. And now everybody's blessed and fruitful and everybody has good life now because, all because you connected somebody with Jesus. Life will be so much more intriguing, so much more fascinating, so much more fun, so much more enjoyable, so much more fulfilling if you will be a disciple maker like Jesus said. Listen, if we want to look at it in the natural, we don't even understand some things. Sam, God can have a plan for you to own your own catering business one day. And the person that you are going to witness to and tell them about Jesus is going to be the person that spent all the money and says, I got you. I'll set the whole business up. You just run everything. I just set it up. You let me set it up. It's something about you, Sam. Let me just put the money in, set it up. You hire the staff. You get it all going. I'll just put the money in. And it's all because you want that person to the Lord. Oh, my goodness. If you all understand how God operates. He's not, God, the Bible says God owes no man nothing. So whatever he does for you or whatever you do for him, I should say, he's going to see to it that he blesses you beyond your imagination. So he will not ask you to do something and not bless you beyond what you can even ask or think. So when we think, oh, man, I just don't really want to talk. Oh, man, this is just so much. Oh, just trust God. Every day you wake up, ask God to lead you to somebody that you can be a witness to, that you can just begin to teach the word of God, that you can befriend. Just say, God, lead me. I'm putting all my stuff aside. I don't care. Just even if I'm if I if I can't get the word out, God, just let me just blurt it out and say it. Just go beyond me and let me get this out so I can be a disciple maker because I want to please you. Very important. This is what's going to give you life. This is what's going to sustain you. Finally, I'm going to say this. Everybody not that negotiated with God. They had made some deposit. (laughs) 
everybody that had negotiated with God, they made some deposit. So when Hezekiah was pronounced to be dead, he had made some deposit in serving God. He said, remember, Lord, when I did this? Abraham negotiated with God. Remember, Lord, I left my family and I served you. I didn't look back. I just went and followed whatever. Everybody that God was able to make decisions for or change his mind about things, it's because they had some stuff built up with God. So here we go. So I'm making disciples and things are hard and things are rough and things are tough. What it is, sickness or finances or whatever the case may be. I got the right now to go back to Jesus and say, Lord, I'm trying to make disciples here. And this money situation is frustrating me. God, you got this ailment in in, in my body. Are you going to let me die? I need to make disciples here. When you do what God says, you have negotiation power, bargaining chip. Just because God is loving and kind, he will listen to you and say, okay, Bob, all right, you're right. You have been investing. You have been doing this. What do you want? That's the next part that we don't realize about this. You do what you got to do and you have bargaining power. You can negotiate with God. He will allow that. Why? Because you invested. He will allow that. Why? Because you've worked side by side with him. He knows you're not asking something selfish. You're asking it because you're in doing with him. You're working alongside with him. Any questions? We got to be disciple makers. People are getting born again in the kingdom. We got to help them. We got to nurture them. We're meeting people on our, on our jobs. Um, you know, there are people that you know for a long time. It's time you take them out to lunch. People you know for a long time, cook a nice dinner at home and invite somebody over. I'm telling you, you got to change something different. Somebody might lose somebody through death. What are you going to do to get closer to them? Because that's a vulnerable time for them. Do something nice so you can begin to befriend them. They need God more than they've ever needed God when they lose somebody. Look for the opportunity to get close to someone to start to befriend them. Remember what I said. You don't have to invite them to church right away. Befriend them. If it's somebody in the church, befriend them. And so I'll give you this last one. 